Michael Swickard here. Welcome to Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our award-winning Hatch Green and Red Chili, boy, is it good. It's from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, which you know is the chili capital of the world. My friends, you and I are deeply involved in the Hatch Valley chili business because we're the end users of that very delicious chili. All these people grow and harvest what we use for cooking and eating. Well, you and I, we're at the end of this agricultural researching, planting, growing, harvesting, and processing the harvest at the Fresh Chili Company. We twist the lid on a jar of that great chili and enjoy all the work of the people who made that taste possible. Let's talk about these chili growers in general. One of the commonalities of these chili farmers is that most of them are multi-generational. Now, they'll also grow other stuff, pecans, onions, things like that, but they do like to grow chili, and I think it gets in their blood once they decide to. Of the ones I know, most are third, fourth, even fifth generation farmers. It's a way of life for them. They went to the University of Dirt and Plants to learn their craft. I made that up. Yes, I did. Speaking of chili peppers, the things they know about growing the chili isn't always found in books. They have a degree, so to speak, in plant growth, and it's simply amazing what they can do. Another group of chili rock stars, I'll call them, so to speak, they're at the Fresh Chili Company. They are the master chefs making over 40 varieties of that ambrosia in a jar. But before they can do their magic, there are the roasters who, during the peak of harvest, they work overtime getting each batch of chili that's been pecked roasted exactly right. It's a very complex process. An example, did you know that when you... Uh, watch people roasting chili in those drums outside of supermarkets or wherever you are. And, and the same is true with the Fresh Chili Company. They quite often use propane, not natural gas, like you have in your home. So they, there, there's a reason for it. And you can certainly roast at home using natural gas. You can use the charcoal barbecue system, all that stuff. But you'll find that the, the big people doing it they use propane. And what's the issue? It's heat. Propane burns 50 degrees hotter than natural gas. And I understand that may not seem like a much <laughs> when natural gas burns at 2,770 degrees. But 50 degrees evidently does make a difference. And for those artisans of the chili burners, and it is an artisan thing. They, they are so talented. They must load the green chili into the drums and then scorch the chilies outside, that waxy coat outside, without harming the meat of the chili. And they have to do it all day long, one load after another. And they have to do it right in the Fresh Chili Company. There's a burner area with 10 drums. And so there's a group of them that during the busy times, they are all working. And it's every few minutes they get another load of green chili done. The waxy coat is washed away and then the green chili is processed in the production kitchen. 
Sometimes it's chopped, sometimes it's pureed, sometimes there are other ingredients added, sometimes it's a veritol. Now that word means that it's a jar of chili only made with one type of chili pepper. And one of the veritols I like, Big Jim, boy, do I like it. Uh, I'm, I really do. Again, the artisans of the kitchen know exactly what it takes, and they have three large vats in which they cook the different chili recipes. Each vat holds, I don't know, a couple hundred gallons of chili, and then they are piped over to an automatic bottling machine to fill up the jars, put the top on each one, invert the jars, there's a reason for all this, and stack the jars that are done. It's, it's all done automatically. Now for you who are interested in what I'm talking about, we give tours during the busy times so you can reserve a time to come take a tour. And guess what? I, Michael Swickard, I'm the tour guide most of the time so you can see what I was describing and, and come you know, look at what we have. I can't take you right in the kitchen, but you can look through a window and everything else you can look at. Michael Swickert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. Let's do a little New Mexico history. Well, it's a little more than New Mexico history. Or actually, it's much more. At this time in 1848, 176 years ago, yeah, this is history, the United States and Mexico were at war with each other, but there was a treaty being arranged, which was signed on February 2nd of 1848. It's called the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, and it ended the Mexican-American War. So, why was the treaty called that? You've seen it all the time and kind of wondered, well, why did it get that name? Well, the treaty was signed in the town of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which nowadays is a suburb of Mexico City. And that's how the treaty got its name. The last battle of the Mexican-American War saw the Mexican army defeated and then the capital was taken in September of 1847. And so... Then they started working out the peace. U.S. Envoy Nicholas Trist negotiated for the United States. Mexico ceded over 50% of its territory, including the present-day states uh, in the United States of New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, and also parts of Kansas, Wyoming, and Colorado. Also, Mexico relinquished all claims to Texas and declared that the Rio Grande was the boundary between Mexico and the United States. Now, the United States agreed to pay $15 million, which doesn't seem like much, but you know this, it would be almost $600 million in, in dollars today. There was still one more transaction between the great country of Mexico and the great country of the United States that needed to be made. That was the Gadsden Purchase, which was done December 30th, 1853. So about this time in 1853, the Gadsden Purchase was going. It was 30,000 square miles of today's New Mexico and Arizona. It included lands south of the Gila River and west of the Rio Grande, 
where the United States, the people in the United States, wanted to build a transcontinental railroad that wouldn't be bothered by snow like the routes to the north. Now, none of the railroads had been built in 1853, but they'd all been, people thought about them and knew that at some time, fairly soon, if it wasn't for the Civil War, it would have been a lot quicker, they were going to build these transcontinental railroads. The Gadsden Purchase Treaty was signed by James Gadsden. That's where they got the name. He was the U.S. ambassador to Mexico and also signed by Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who was the president of Mexico. What all this, the first and second treaties, showed was something that you hadn't really thought about or they hadn't thought about. No one in either country had detailed maps of the areas in question. It was quite nebulous as to where are the boundaries, and it stayed that way for many years. But I assure you, I do, that the exact boundaries are now known today. So let's do an Old West story that seems it could be true. Some of my stories are those where you go, it's an interesting story, but it might be true, and that's good enough for me. So a cowboy was arrested, and he was charged with stealing a horse. He went in front of Judge Parker. He pleaded, he pleaded not guilty. Now, he had a good lawyer, and the evidence against him was flimsy at best. The judge, after the trial, gaveled and announced that the cowboy was not guilty of stealing that horse. Everybody stood up, ready to leave, and the cowboy looked a little puzzled. Finally, he, he kind of motioned to the judge and said, Say, judge, does that mean I can keep the horse? <laughs> In the Old West, there were quite a bit of cattle thievery rustling, even branded cows but dramatically fewer horses. I don't know if you knew that, but they, people didn't steal horses very much. So what was the difference in the Old West between stealing cattle and stealing horses? You see, cattle thieves were arrested and served time in jail when caught, while horse thieves were often hung from the nearest tree. Take a cow, it cost somebody some money. Take a horse and you could put somebody afoot 40 miles from town, they may not even make it into town. You, they might die coming into town. Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. Now, long before cell phones, long before telephones, long before telegraph lines crisscrossed New Mexico, the U.S. Army had another way of instant communication between some of their forts. It was a heliograph which was a mirror, and it would reflect the sun in a way that if they were watching from somewhere else, you could do Morse code, and the Morse code could be sent over quite a distance because the flashing light. The first messages were sent from Fort Cummings, about 20 miles north of Deming, New Mexico. That was in 1886. And relay stations over the years were constructed. Soldiers were placed between Fort Stanton and today, near today's Riadoso and onto several forts in Arizona and all along that area. It was used for the remote forts from 1886 to about uh, 1930. 
Fort Bayard, east of Silver City, was the center of activity for many years, and interestingly, John J. Pershing reported for duty in September of 1887, a recent graduate of West Point. He and two friends came at the same time, Lieutenant Julius Penn and Lieutenant Richard Paddock. So you got Penn, Paddock, and Pershing. And so all the people dubbed them the Three Green Peas because they were, they were new to the Army. Of course, Pershing became the leading general in World War I, but what isn't as well known is that with his engineering ability, he led much of the communication building for the heliograph network from Fort Stanton to, to Tucson. That was part of his doing. The ability to have almost instant communication in southern New Mexico was very valuable for the military, both during times of Native American unrest and times of lawlessness in New Mexico, especially times like the attack upon Columbus, New Mexico by Pancho Villa in 1916. That ability to do a lot of communication was very, very important. Now, one thing was for sure, and this was something of the 19th century, that everyone at those stations, everyone coming out of West Point had to be excellent at the Morse code and be able to do it very quickly and steady. They also had to have good eyesight to be able to really see it and write it down and be able to get the messages. Now, in last week's podcast, I talked about letting me know, me, Michael, at freshchilico.com, what chili farmers should plant for you for the 2024 harvest. There's another thing. You can go to the Fresh Chili Company at their website, freshchilico.com. That's freshchilico.com. And you can pre-order your 2024 chili so that when it's ready, you will have it. I'm doing that with the Big Jim Red and Green Blend that I like so much. Uh, I want to make sure there's enough next year. And so you can pre-order if you want. And uh, at the Fresh Chili Company that sponsors these podcasts, it's an honor to talk about their innovation of chili salsa and great tasting products. You can join the Fresh Chili Cooking Facebook group. That's a great group where members have shared thousands of recipes that feature, of course, hatched chili products. Right now, there's about 27,000 members of the group. I'm a member. I've posted something tasty. I'm looking forward to a chance for you to post something uh, showing some good podcast uh, uh, chili using something there, and I can make it when I read it. This is Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Thank you for your time today. We'll always have lots of news and stories about New Mexico on these podcasts. If you have something or someone you want me to talk about, write to me, michael at freshchilico.com, michael at freshchilico.com. Have a great rest of your day and eat pl- plenty of that good Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good and more is better as long as it's Hatch Valley Chili. Bye for now.